you will be aware that we have been going through a sermon, perhaps you're not aware, on uh, Romans 5 through 7, asking the question, who am I? And this is one of the thorniest uh, passages in Scripture that we are going to tackle. So I, I come with fear and trembling as we look at Romans 7, 14 through 25. Paul has been speaking about the law in Romans 7, that we are dead to the law, and he uh, takes a turn and uh, looks inward and talks a little bit about his own personal experience. Romans seven fourteen through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. <clears throat> For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. The word of the Lord. Paul has been speaking of the law, that we are now no longer under the law, under the condemnation of the law. And Paul moves into this passage. It's a very difficult passage. It uh, pushes back against a strain of theology that is called uh, the higher life. And I don't know if you've heard of that strain of theology. Perhaps you've gone to a church uh, that has preached this, that Christianity is a struggle, but there is a certain point when one reaches a stage of maturity. And when they sort of crest over that, then uh, they reach a new level of spiritual understanding and they no longer sin. They no longer struggle with sin. They've reached a higher plane of existence. Now, I scratch my head when I think of that because I'm reading Paul here. We are talking the Apostle Paul, who has written the majority of the books of the New Testament, who is talking about his particular struggles with sin. This passage is difficult because sin is difficult. Before there was sin, life was not that difficult. There was a wholeness to it. There was an integrity to it. But now there seems to be a civil war, if you will, that we experience in our own lives, in our own hearts, as we struggle to live out this Christian existence. There's an already and a not yet to Christianity. For in one sense, we have a sense, a new understanding, a new relationship, a new intimacy with God. And But yet all the promises, the things we hear about God, we yearn for and long for as we experience in graphic detail sometimes the brokenness and fallenness of our lives in this world. Why did Paul put this passage into the scripture? I think it's because 
He, un- he wants us to know that we must understand the nature of the Christian life. We have to have an appropriate understanding of this world and this Christian life we live out. Otherwise, we're doomed to a life of bewilderment and disappointment as we wonder what has happened to us, why we are the one person that doesn't seem to be able to experience all that Jesus has for us. Christianity is a battle. It is a struggle. And yet, we know the end of this battle. The war has been already won. The challenge in our lives is to live out that which is already ours, the inheritance of salvation in Jesus Christ. This passage continually points us back to the reality that I don't simply need Jesus at the beginning of my Christianity. Rather, Jesus is my Christianity from beginning to end. So we're going to look at three specific points that Paul touches on in this passage. Number one, I must recognize the fact that I am still fallen. I am still broken. There's still that which is earthly in me. But number two, I must also recognize that I have been changed, that I'm not the same person that I once was, that I can never go back to who I once was. And then finally, point number three, I must recognize that I need Jesus as much today as I have ever needed him. Because I don't simply need Jesus at the beginning of my Christianity. Jesus is my Christianity. Well, let's look at point number one, recognize I'm still fallen. Paul says in verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. Paul is doing some self-reflection and he refers to the law as spiritual. What does he mean by that? He doesn't mean ethereal or difficult to grasp. He means that it's birthed and animated by the Holy Spirit. It is full of life through and through. It is spiritual. And Jesus really, in order to understand the fullness of the law, we must look at Christ. I mean, think of that Sermon on the Mount, right? Where Jesus says, you have heard it said that if you kill someone, you're you've, you know, subject to murder. But I tell you that if you have anger in your heart, it is the same as if you had killed that person. Or he speaks of lust in our heart as opposed to simply the act of adultery. In other words, the law is spiritual. It reveals the motivations of our lives. It is true. But Paul is saying here, but I am of the flesh. And we have to ask the question, Paul, are you saying all of me is of the flesh? Because we have been going through the book of Romans, haven't we? Did he not say in the chapter before, in verse 6, do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? And we were buried with him by baptism into death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in the newness of life. So isn't there newness to us, Paul? Indeed, in verse 6, Paul goes on, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So how can Paul say simultaneously those things and that I am of the flesh? What Paul is saying is that there is still, still something that is fallen in me. There is still something broken in me. See, Paul has been saying this in each of these chapters. In verse 6, Paul said, 
We died to the penalty of sin and the dominion of sin, but we're not yet free from the presence of sin. In Romans 7, he's saying we've died to the law, but we're not yet perfect according to the law. We've died to its condemnation, but we still don't live up to who we are yet to be. We cannot yet fully follow the law. And so Paul plays this out in these eyes, if you will, because like Paul, we have the ability to recognize the reality of our fallenness. We have the ability to step back and see that there are two parts of me, that there is a genuine struggle. See, if we don't do this, all we'll hear is the voice of Satan. That after we sin and after we fall, we'll hear the voice that says, ah, there's something defective in you. You clearly aren't a Christian. Look at your conduct. Look at the way that you live. After all that he's done for you. If Paul can communicate these things about himself, if he can see himself realistically, then we must also. The conclusion is that Christ does dwell in me. That in my inner being, heaven has come and the spirit dwells. But in my flesh, in my body, there is death and fallenness and brokenness. And it will be there until the end of the resurrection when Christ comes again. Paul goes so far as in verse 21 to say, I find this law at work. He's not talking about the law that we've been talking about, the law of the scriptures, but rather this principle that when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. It comes alongside. See, Jesus in Revelation 21.5, he said, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. He didn't say, I'm making a new everything, right? He's making everything new. He's taking that which has fallen and that which is broken, and he's making it new. I've been in the midst of uh, doing some renovations to my house. It's been quite an experience. Anyone see the movie Money Pit? Very, very similar, very similar. And what's interesting about when you're trying to work on a house that's 25, 30 years old, is that nothing is square in the house. If you know what square means, it means when it was put together, it was 90 degrees. But the settling of gravity in the foundation has changed everything. So I cut my cabinet doors and go to put them on, thinking, well, the the hole looks like it's a perfect rectangle. But no, things are slightly off. They're They're bent. Everything I'm having to adjust and cut and shape because it's old and broken and I'm trying to make it new. It's a painstaking process. Anyone will tell you new construction is easier than remodeling and renovating. I mean, honestly, that's the way God should have done it, right? Just wipe out everything that's broken and old. Start with that which is fresh. But God in his grace and mercy and sovereignty said, I like the creation that I have. Love that beautiful picture in the movie Seabiscuit where that guy's out in the brush with his horse, you know, and the horse is broken and he says something to the effect of, 
Just because something's broken doesn't mean you throw it away. See, the Lord saw us. And he is the one that has the capacity to take that which is broken and make it new. And that's what he's doing. The law is spiritual. And it is good. Paul is showing us that we need the law because we need to understand what is square. We need to understand what God has called us to. We need to study the law and seek to walk alongside it. But simultaneously, Paul is saying that we must not be surprised or discouraged or isolated, isolate ourselves when we recognize the reality that I'm still a fallen creature. The Apostle Paul is in the same boat. All the disciples were, and you and I are too. See, I'm in Christ, but I'm also in Virginia Beach. And God is doing a work in me. But my victory is not in myself. My victory is not in me ultimately pulling myself up by my bootstraps and renovating myself. It's in Jesus Christ who called me, who resurrected me from the inside in my spirit, who's doing a renovative work every day. You should see my garage, by the way, right now. It looks horrible. There's stuff all over the place. But I have in my mind what the finished product is going to be. I know. And so we must look to him. When all of our stuff is out, when we've fallen down again, when we've given in to that voice, we must look to him. I don't simply need Jesus at the beginning of my Christianity. He is my Christianity. So point number one, recognize that I am fallen. But equally important, more important, point number two, I must recognize that I have been changed. Verse 15 says this, I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but the very thing I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. He says it again in verse 20. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now, you're scratching your head and going, wait a second. I mean, what if your kid came up to you and said, look, I know I did that, but it really wasn't me who did it. Okay, it's sin that's dwelling within me that has done it. Paul is not shirking responsibility, is he? I mean, he says it's I, I do the thing that I do not want. But Paul wants to communicate that because of Christ, sin is in me, but sin is not me. Notice what he says in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That word inner being, by the way, if you translate it in the Greek, the the most accurate translation is inner man or inner woman. In my inner man, in my inner who I am. I delight in the law of God. That word inner man, it's only actually used two other times in the scriptures. In our praying the scriptures passage, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, though we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. In other words, the inner me 
is continually being renewed while the outer me is falling away. My flesh, my members, my fallenness. And then Ephesians 3.16, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, why I'm communicating this is what Paul is saying is, in the inner core of who I am, I am holy. I am without sin in my inner disposition. How can I say that? Because Jesus said, right, through the scriptures, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Whenever God would indwell a structure, it would first have to be cleansed. It would first have to be sanctified because God cannot dwell with sin. And does not 2 Corinthians 3.16 say, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? And so sin is in me, but Christ is in me. Christ is in me, in my heart. When you are resurrected the last day of Christ, when he comes, your spirit will not need to be resurrected. It already is. Did he not say that we are already seated with Christ Jesus in the heavenly realms? That we've been raised with him? And so there is this sin that is in me. It's in my flesh. But the other important thing to understand is that my body is not bad. My body is not bad. It's fallen. Sin, this entity, this whatever it is, is resident in my body and it's broken. And God is going to fix that. He's going to give me a new body that is without sin. But I no longer need to own the fact that I am sin. I need to own the fact that I do sin. When my flesh listens to that voice. Verse 23 puts it this way, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Notice the battle. When he's talking about the law of my mind, he's talking about the law of the inner me. Not simply my mind, the inner me that is battling against my flesh, my members. Jesus dwells in the inner me and sin dwells in the outer me. This flesh, this body is where sin resides. I'm not yet spiritual, but I will be. Romans 8 puts it this way. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Jesus triumphed over evil in the cross. He triumphed over evil in ransoming us through his blood, and he will ultimately triumph over evil by defeating sin in me through resurrecting me. 
But it's hard to see sometimes, isn't it? Anybody wake up to watch the royal wedding? Come on, people. There's my wife. Yay. Crumpets and tea, baby. I got up a little bit late, mind you, to see the pomp and circumstance of Harry and Meghan Markle, an American, a commoner, if you will, getting married. And the, the, the setting was magnificent. That was the private chapel at Windsor Castle, by the way. I'd like, a, I'd like a private chapel like that. I don't think that that's wrong. $40 million, I think, was how much was spent on the wedding. $40 million. And she's wearing this magnificent, white, beautiful robe designed by Givenchy. You know, it's, it's, do you notice how I said Givenchy, too? I feel very Givenchy, isn't it? I'm not exactly sure. But she looked so beautiful on the outside. And it was hard not to admire her or Harry in his, you know, debonair outfit as they went to the carriage and down with the mounted cavalry with their breastplates shining in the sun. It was magnificent. On that day, Meghan Markle became the Duchess of Sussex. She got a new title, a new position, a new inheritance. But the reality is Meghan Markle is the exact same person, isn't she? She received all the trappings, if you will, on the outside. And we were able to see them. But the inside, Meghan Markle is the exact same. The kingdom of God functions exactly the opposite of the kingdom of man. See, when you came to Christ, if you have claimed him as Lord and Savior, and he has taken up residence in your heart. There was no fanfare on the outside, no trumpets, no beautiful outfit, no celebrating guests. But scripture tells a different story, doesn't it? There's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 that don't need to repent. And as an 18-year-old, though I walked into that Young Life campaigners and came out a Christian, I looked the same on the outside. But I was very, very different on the inside. I was changed. Sin is no longer me. I'm a saint who sins, not a sinner. And slowly... God is working out that which he began. And one day you will see me completed as we will see each other in all of our splendor and beauty. Until then, as we walk along, we must recognize that we are fallen, but that we are not the same, that everything has changed. Yes, you should judge your conduct, but don't judge yourself. Leave the judgment to God who says, I find no condemnation in you. Your status is by whose you are, not what you do. Much of your life might be constantly beating yourself up because you do not measure up to the standard of Christ. Guess what? You never will in this life. Godly sorrow is okay. 
Blessed are those who mourn, says Jesus. But make sure that you're mourning for the right reason. Make sure that your mourning is sending your eyes heavenward to Jesus Christ. Amidst our mourning, our Christian life should be spent rejoicing. Because that sin which I committed may be in me, but it's not me. When I hear that voice that says, you're ugly, you're no good, nobody wants you, look to Jesus. Don't look to yourself. Because you are holy and God himself dwells in you. And he cannot dwell with the ungodly. Christian, you are blood-bought, a son or daughter of the king. You get more than simply a title. You get an identity. It's not just what you have, it's who you are. I don't simply need Jesus at the beginning of my Christianity. Jesus is my Christianity from beginning to end. And so I finish with my final point. I must recognize I need Jesus as much today as I ever needed him. I love this last section here before he moves into Romans 8. And as I said, this is part of the story of the Christian life. Where Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He says something very strange. He says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He doesn't stay looking at himself, does he? Wretched man, who will deliver me? Is it you? Or is it that? Or is it if I earn that? Or I make that? Or I do that? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He's the one who will deliver me from this body of death. He has began this work in me, and he will complete it. So I need not lose hope. I can stay fast and strong in the midst of my brokenness. Yes, I serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. But as you will see, God has given us his spirit that we'll look at in Romans 8, in which we can have victory. When you are overwhelmed by your sin, when you feel like giving up and throwing in the towel, say like Paul, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Ah, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Because I don't simply need Jesus at the beginning of my Christianity. Jesus is my Christianity. He's always been there. He always is there. And he always will be there. He's inside. He's outside. And ultimately, he will complete me when he comes again. Maranatha, Lord Jesus, come. Let's pray. We acknowledge our brokenness and our fallenness. But we simultaneously acknowledge the work that you have already done, the blood that has been shed, the freedom and forgiveness that we have, and the transformation in our inner man, our inner woman. You dwell within us, showing that you accept us and are delighted to be with us. Help us to fix our eyes, not on things that are seen, but things that are unseen. For what is seen is temporary and passing away, but what is unseen is eternal. 
pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.